0: to another edition of game changers clinical conversations i'm your host jeff wall and uh again uh, uh welcome to all the pharmacists listening i have recently understood that, that we've had a pretty good uh um, audience in the last several uh, um, episodes and so i do want to take a moment to thank all of you listening and uh hopefully you're finding this is of, of, some in- of some interest and maybe even a little bit entertaining i don't know how entertaining i am but but i try to be um and uh so yeah i, I thank you all for listening certainly you know let your friends and 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 everyone that might need some CE or might be interested in what we're talking about, please let them know. You know, spread the word on your on your uh, social media and uh, and and let everybody know. And and certainly like and 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 comment us on us on, on where you listen to your podcast because obviously that that increases uh, the traffic and, and the number of people want to listen because we do want to get as many people in on the conversation as we can. So today we are going to be talking a little differently than we have been. I I know the last couple of times we've we've tried to dodge COVID just because it's you know kind of the covid 24/7 show that we're all dealing with but i today we are going to talk about covid but we're not going to talk about a new drug we're not going to talk about about anything along those lines i wanted to get a um a little perspective on something that i suspect that that anyone who is dealing with covid uh clinically and certainly those of us in the midwest i think are dealing with is is the the uh, um um Issue of, of kind of the the disproportionate number of pa- patients of color uh, that seem to get COVID and and certainly seem to do worse with it, and uh, this has been a, a huge issue as you might imagine in the Upper Midwest, where certainly in my area in Des Moines we've we've uh, had some huge outbreaks in meat, meat packing plants and and, and other, uh, other other areas like that where unfortunately a lot of the the uh, the workers are Latino um, or for or other minorities and. And, and unfortunately, it seems like they, they tend to do worse, and that's not just my you know my view or kind of my, my, my suspicion on stuff. We know that that uh, several studies have suggested that 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 there is a, a disproportionate burden of illness and death in patients with racial and ethnic memori- uh, minority groups. Uh, the, uh, there was a paper in MMWR a few weeks ago that that looked at patients in New York and found that that 45% of patients who were hospitalized uh, with COVID 19 were mm-hmm. were uh, white. Whereas 59% of them were uh, were not, and um, another study from from New York City suggested that the death rates are much much higher in in, in patients of color. Uh, once this another study from New York suggested that death rates were about 92.3 deaths per 100,000 population in African Americans, 74.3% in Latino populations, and that was way way higher than white populations, which was only 45.2. So uh, there's obviously some 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 issues having to to do with 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 disproportionate effects of, of COVID nineteen on on uh, these different patient groups. Uh, the CDC talks a little bit about some of the some of the issues why that might be. Um, certainly, some of it tends to be uh, uh, living conditions that that uh, patients of color or Latino patients may live in more densely populated areas, um, and and uh, unfortunately are, are subject to to residential housing segregation, which is bad, of course. Um, the other, of course, is that they're often farther from grocery stores and medical facilities. So it makes it difficult to receive care if they're sick. Uh, also, um, uh, especially in Latino households, multi-generational households is often the norm. And so of course you have, have you know many family members in a relatively small area and it makes it difficult to not spread them. And finally, uh, uh, unfortunately, uh, uh, r- uh, racial and ethnic minority groups are overrepresented in other areas of, of congested living, like jails and prisons and things along those lines. So um, that, you know that's that CDC has said that 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 it has some role. I think some other roles to think about is that uh, uh, patients of color and 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 Latino patients tend to be more critical workers because they work in more essential industries, and so of course you know they're more likely to be exposed than people who have the luxury of working from home. Uh, unfortunately, many of these patients don't have a paid sick leave as well, which makes things even tougher for these patients. So, uh, and then you know we could do a whole twenty minutes just on 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 inequality to care and and the lack of access to care. Um, but that's 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 something that that's probably we could do a whole another talk about. So, uh, you know, I've certainly seen this. My guess is many of you have seen this, and so um, I thought I would bring on a special guest star uh, on. On this podcast, and fortunately, it's a colleague of mine from Drake. So, uh, Professor Sally Hawk, uh, who uh, is a again a professor of pharmacy practice at Drake University, and is, has long experience and research experience in in working with with social determinants uh, and cultural sensitivity of of uh, minorities in healthcare. And her practice site is actually uh, here in here in Des Moines, which is is a, a basically a free clinic uh, called Primary Healthcare, where a large number of her, her patients are are Latino. So uh, Uh, Sally, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thanks, Jeff, for having me. I'm really excited to be here today and to talk to you about this topic.
0: I appreciate that. And and so, again, um, you know, I, I, I wanted to kind of, there's not going to be a lot of clinical studies in this or, you know, or, you know, so, you know, I, because there was not a lot, a whole lot published other than what I've kind of just talked about. So I'm just going to kind of ask you a few just general questions and, and really kind of try and get your sense of, of especially here in, in the upper Midwest, how the Latino community is dealing with COVID-19. So I'm, I'm assuming that, that, that you've seen COVID-19 patients in your clinic at, at primary health care.
1: Yeah, yeah, we definitely have. Um, And just to kind of clarify a little bit about my position, thanks so much for the introduction that you provided and setting the stage for everything. Um, I do work at Primary Health Care, and it's a federally qualified community health center, so we do serve a large Latino population. Um, I'm definitely going to share my experiences today, but I want to just... put a quick pause in and say that these are just my experiences. So I don't want to have people make the assumption that this is true for all of Des Moines or all of Iowa or all of the Midwest. Um, So not to overgeneralize these um, findings or my experiences, um, but certainly we have seen definitely COVID here in our clinic system um, we have clinics in Des Moines and um, Ames and Marshalltown and so um, on March 23rd we actually started a respiratory clinic on the south side of Des Moines so um, we started to funnel all of our patients who were experiencing symptoms or called in and wanted an appointment down to that clinic and so that helped us kind of focus our efforts with covid in that area Um, they were seeing up to about 60 patients a day um, at a drive-up clinic just through one or two medical providers and their nursing staff and that number has decreased of course since they started um, that clinic so i personally have been doing most of my um pharmacy work and follow up with patients through telehealth visits, we've really had a big push um, with our clinic system to make healthcare more available and accessible through telehealth, um, whether that's audio only or through video conferencing. And so um, definitely that's been helping us to provide the chronic care management that patients still need in the face of a pandemic. Um, and so I have seen patients, um, some of my patients that I had been following, specifically for disease state management, that have tested positive for COVID. Um, they're not coming to me because they have COVID, but because they have other chronic disease states that I am helping to manage. And then um, I find out that they've been tested positive, they've um, got a positive test. So we know that hospitalizations um, are six times higher, and death, or death, is 12 times higher for COVID patients with underlying chronic conditions. So my role just kind of in summary is to help manage those chronic conditions and make sure that patients still have the access to the healthcare system, even despite the fact that maybe they can't come into the clinic or maybe they've been recently discharged from a hospital due to COVID and making sure that those transitions of care um, are working smoothly.
0: Uh, I, I those are obviously you know very important issues so i'm, I'm you know that and thanks for the clarification. I'm, you know, so I we do a little bit of this as well um, at, at at Methodist, where you know, because of the the visitor restriction policy, um, we're doing or uh, trying to do a lot more education of our patients who don't speak English, and so we have the little little uh you know video you know uh, TV on a stick thing yeah, that we kind of yeah. kind of kind of move into the patient's room and stuff. How, how do you how do you deal with with telehealth in in and I know you speak some Spanish, which I'm sure is helpful. But but how how do you deal with telehealth um, issues in 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 an issue where especially only audio only where where you may not have you know a good communication link because of language barriers?
1: Yeah, so fortunately we also have a telephone language line that we use. So what I'll do is, um, you know, call the patient using the language line, um, and then the interpreter will answer. So it's like a conference call. Um, that is challenging because sometimes the patients don't recognize the number and they might not pick up. So we try different times of the day, different days of the week to reach them. Um, I have done some uh, Zoom calls. Our, our clinic system is using Zoom for our telehealth platform. And I have had a little bit of success with that. Oftentimes it's with, as you might imagine, younger generations helping their parents get it set right. up. Right. Um, So that's, it's always, of course, helpful when you can have that video component and see the patient face to face. But in this situation, um, that's not always possible. So we're doing the best we can otherwise.
0: Excellent. Yeah. I, you know, like I said, we, we, I think we have had our issues with that. And and so it's, I was interested to hear about that. So, so in your patients who either have COVID or maybe they have a family member with COVID, or certainly I'm sure they know somebody who's had COVID, maybe even somebody who's been hospitalized, what questions or do your Latino patients have any questions about COVID and what are they?
1: Yeah. So, um, just like every patient population or all of our, our our country, there's lots of questions out there, and it's oftentimes difficult and confusing to navigate what's what's the right information. There's a lot of new information being learned every day about COVID, and and Oftentimes we talk about the source of the information, right? So where we're getting the information and is that reliable? Um, Can we trust the information? Where is it coming from? And I I feel like um, a lot of our patients that don't speak English are definitely getting their information either from family members or friends, maybe social media, um, because... If they don't have cable, um, there aren't TV um, stations or news that's reporting um, in their native language, and so that's difficult for them to to kind of access that information. Um, A lot of the questions that our staff has been getting here are not only about about COVID and where to get tested, a lot of people are wanting to get tested um, for their work situations. to make sure that they can go back to work. Um, And so that's been a challenge because sometimes they might not meet the criteria for the state hygienic lab that we're using. And so um, we've been trying to navigate that as the testing criteria has changed over the last few months and who's eligible to get tested as we have more tests available now than we did back in March or April. Um, But a lot of the questions are also related to financial assistance. So as you alluded to in your intro, um, many of our, our patients um, have not been able to go into work uh, if they're in the service industry. So if they're working in restaurants or hotels or they're, they're cleaning homes, things like that, um, they might not be getting a paycheck at all. And unfortunately, since some of them don't um, qualify for the CARES Act for funding or to, to qualify for unemployment benefits, they're looking for ways to access resources in the community. Um, certainly, when school was in session, many parents had their kids at home and they weren't getting, you know meals at school. so that became a challenge as well. And just lack of understanding about where food pantries are to get right. food and and prioritizing like the housing and the food um, over sometimes, you know, picking up their refills of their meds or going to their their office visit for their chronic care management. Um, also, immigration is a question that um, people have been getting related to processing immigration claims. So, there are local organizations that have been working pre-pandemic on helping people process those claims, but many of those legal clinics were closed, and so the need is still there for people um, because the clock is still ticking, um, but they're not getting the consultations on their cases. and then finally um, legal assistance related to violations and maybe labor violations or housing evictions things that as you as you mentioned earlier this is a vulnerable patient population and so making sure that their their rights are, are still represented in this um, challenging situation you talked about the meat packing plans and um, the spikes in cases in those counties and so those are definitely some questions also partly because I work with um, managing chronic conditions you know how their risk increases um, for covid related to the chronic conditions that they have and so those are those are some questions i know some people have made comments um, just in the community about you know certain populations not quote unquote taking it seriously enough And are people really um, prioritizing their um, their day to day activities based on covid and and keeping the rest of the population safe? And um, certainly there's some of that out there, but I would argue that many people have the privilege to to work from home or um, have the opportunity to do things. to keep themselves social distance and physical distancing where other patients may not have that opportunity.
0: All right. Yeah. I mean, many of the things you said, I'll be honest, I hadn't crossed even hadn't crossed my mind. So again, it points I think again to the Gulf between, um, um, you know, different social strata and, and, mm-hmm. you know, some of the problems that, 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 you know, we deal with versus some of the problems that, that people in other social strata deal with. And again, yeah. it, 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 kind of speaks to the, you know, I mean, you know, empathy is just so, so important here and, and, and trying to understand, you know, when it's, when it's a, a case of, look, I've got to go to the the food pantry because I don't have any food and I don't have a job. Right. And, and yeah, right. and that's, yeah, that's really important. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we're, we're both pharmacists again, I'm well aware and I'm sure you are of the fact that there is no really good treatment for COVID. Even the treatments yeah. that have been approved for COVID really probably aren't very good treatments for COVID. Yeah. Have, yeah. Have, you, have you been asked, or do you know, you know, any of your colleagues have been asked about you know in, in the Latino community as, as herbal or folk treatments been something that that's been brought up? My uh, uh, yeah, a little embarrassing here. my uh, uh, mother-in-law asked me if, if, if inhaling uh, silver uh, silver uh, colloidal ions, and a nebulizer would help with covid Um, i'm sure she heard that on some tinfoil hat uh sort of 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 presentation and i basically said no i don't think so that's probably not a very good idea so um you know has there been any herbal or folk treatments that that you've heard that people have asked about for covid
1: yeah um a couple um and and actually kind of going back to one of your recent podcasts about vitamin d yeah. so it's not herbal or folk but um i've been in contact with quite a few of my colleagues in mexico at a university down there that i've collaborated with and understanding kind of how COVID is presenting itself in their country and how their community is responding and Um, I know that, as you mentioned in a previous podcast, there's an association, but not necessarily causation, with low vitamin D levels. But I know down there, um, especially, many of the pharmacies are sold out of vitamin D over the counter just because people are trying to use things um, that they can get access to to try and help to to either prevent or, or treat COVID. Um, we've also gotten some questions here at the pharmacy from people that, again, have heard things from a friend or family member about um, prescriptions that are helpful. So we had a couple of weeks ago, a patient that came in um, asking one of our technicians for um, prescription for amoxicillin for his whole family. Um, so he had heard that uh, another man had gotten um, bulk amoxicillin from somebody um, don't know where or you know how that was how that was presented but to prevent covid and so not necessarily related to herbal or folk treatments but definitely teas are something that um, are often times used in the community to related to other disease states so i personally haven't gotten any of those types of questions but i know it's out there and um, again kind of back to what I said earlier about getting information from social media or other friends right. and family. And you think about the game of telephone, how, how things get, the message gets modified or adjusted as you get oh, along from one yeah. person to the next. And so I think that's a real concern and um, trying to address those when they come up is important.
0: Excellent. Well, that's, like I appreciate the information. So so the last question I'd like to ask um, um, is, you know, and this is something you've, you've done some research on and, I, and certainly have expertise on is, is you know, how can the average pharmacist, whether we're working in a community, whether we're working in, in a nursing home, working in a hospital, how can we be more culturally sensitive, sensitive to uh, Latino patients who have issues surrounding, either they have COVID, they have a family member with COVID, they have questions about COVID. How, how can I be more culturally sensitive?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, great question, and um, I think the the starting point is just to listen, so a lot of times we come into a situation with maybe preconceived notions about what this patient might be experiencing or their family members, but just taking each patient as an individual and listening to their concerns, um, and also recognizing maybe that their priorities might not be the same as our priorities in the healthcare system, and so... Um, I think that's the first thing, just listening to to what they what's on their mind and what their concerns are. I think also explaining um, the situation related to COVID, providing information in a clear manner um, that's easy for the patient to understand, whether that's in English or using an interpreter for another language. Um, definitely acknowledging the challenges that are going on for that patient and their family. Um, and then recommending resources or maybe referrals. I wanted to specifically let the audience know about uh, Iowa Spanish Helpline that just started a couple of weeks ago here in our state. Um, there was a task force that was, that's was that been made up of 10 organizations that serve primarily Latino patient population or just patients in general. Um, and what they're doing is it's kind of like the two one. Unle- 211 line for resources in our community, but it's all in Spanish. Oh, no. And so um, that's available Monday through Saturday, 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. And I'll just, if if it's all right with you, I'll just give the phone number real quick.
0: Please, please do, yes. Um, this is area code
1: 515 344 3936. So you can definitely refer your um, patients to that number. They're not healthcare professionals, but they would point the patients in the direction of approved resources that would be helpful you know to them, whether it's, again, as I mentioned earlier, financial situations, legal situations, they'll point them to test Iowa so they can figure out if they're eligible to receive testing. Excellent. So I'm excited I'm excited to hear about opportunities like that coming out um, for our patients that might not have access to the same resources as patients that speak English. And then okay. I think the last thing that I would say, just to wrap up is just recognizing um the emotional toll and mental health um, that this pandemic is having. Obviously, we know that for our entire population, but um, this is a vulnerable patient population, and recognizing that um, they might not know about services related to mental health or other opportunities in our local areas, so pointing them in those directions is obviously, um a benefit as
0: well excellent, yeah, I agree. We'll put the 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 phone number and the information in the show notes so so those of us so uh, anyone can actually just just have that in the show notes and uh, for the podcast so well, thank you very much, uh Sally. I mean, this has been excellent, yeah. and even in this very, very short time, um I realize that that you know uh, there are issues that don't even enter my brain uh, just because I'm fortunate enough to be again in a different kind mm-hmm. of social economic strata. Yeah. And so I you know, and so uh I, I, I like the idea of just taking a step back and listening. Um, you know, and and whether that's through an interpreter or or just, you know, I I, I often joke that the only Spanish I know is is where is the bathroom. Um yep. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, don't dare stop on you. Um but you <laughs> know, so you know, you know, but but uh you know uh, uh that to try and listen more and, and and again, you know, just because there's a language barrier or a cultural barrier, you know, we we've got to work to, to make sure that these people are seen as, as patients as as we would mm-hmm. and as we would anyone else so yeah. thank you again sally for 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 an excellent interview i really appreciate it and uh, again thank you again for your time uh, again we'll, we'll put some of this information in the show notes for, for the people want to listen to it before we end um uh, again just a brief note from ce impact um they uh, obviously uh sponsored this uh podcast and, and they have some excellent ce opportunities and you can hear about them right now
2: Hey there, Game Changer Podcast listeners. This is the founder of the Pharmacy Podcast Network, Todd Yuri We are so excited that the team at CE Impact has partnered with the Pharmacy Podcast Network to bring you a weekly subscription service, which weeds through the clinical guidelines and evidence and gives it to you straight, straight to your inbox every Friday, straight information in just 15 minutes. That's right. Just 15 minutes every Friday, you'll get an opportunity to have CE on your phone, podcast form, evidence-based information distilled down in just 15 minutes. You'll have the information and the CE you need. Check this out. Go to ceimpact.com. Once again, that's CE as in continuing education, Impact.com, CE Impact.com. We thank you for listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. 36 shows, 45 participating PharmDs, 1,050 plus episodes. So much happening here. Get involved in the network. There's opportunities for participation in a multitude of subjects. And always remember, you are the hub of healthcare. We love our pharmacists. Please stay safe during this time, during this pandemic. We love you. I thank you from the bottom of my heart for listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Nation.
0: So that wraps up for this uh, edition of uh, Game Changers Clinical uh, um, um, Conversations, and again, I, I appreciate Dr. Dr. Hawk's expertise, and, and this was a, an excellent education that taught me quite a bit. Uh, we'll I'm sure we'll we'll talk about COVID and non-COVID things as, as the weeks go on. But again, I appreciate all those listening, and again, please try and, and, and like and comment about about the podcast uh, wherever you get your podcasts. So we'll see you next week. Remember that uh, time flies. We don't know where it's going, but today is the most important day of all. You have a very good day, and we'll talk.